Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time we can share your precious word. May it be a blessing to all who hear it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us the unction, the power, and the ability to clearly understand, to proclaim and understand your written word. We thank you that you were the author of this. The same person who authored these words can make them real in our hearts. We thank you for that today. In the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen. The other day I was reading my scripture lesson for the day. It was Matthew 25. And once again, I read this well-known parable about the ten virgins. And as I was reading it, it took on a new meaning for me. And I was reminded yet again that very often we make the mistake of thinking that because we know something so well, we get familiar with it. We get familiar with the Word of God and because of that we lose out, not understanding that there's always something more there for us. And this is a case in point. I'd like us to just read then, well I'm going to read Matthew 25 from verse 1 through to verse 12. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Do you see that? No oil. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, when I was reading this, those words struck me. Obviously, this is a very, very important lesson. We've all been taught, I've often taught this, that Christianity is not a religion. True Christianity is a relationship. A relationship with God made possible to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross of Calvary. But here we find the same Lord, the Lord of the Christian, as it were, saying, I do not know you. That's very serious. That strikes at the very heart of everything that we believe. Now, obviously, my question then was, well, what exactly was it that caused him not to know us? You see, this wasn't just written for the people listening to him when the Lord spoke these words. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was writing it for generations to come, right up to our generation. Perhaps the people who heard it were expecting the kingdom of heaven to break out in their lifetime. 
the Lord implied as much, actually. But you see, if we think that this parable only applies to the great wedding feast of the Lamb, what about everybody else who's come and gone between then, when this was spoken, and the time when he does actually come? The imagery is obvious. He was speaking to a people whose culture had a particular way of going about marriage. The engagement, as we call it today, was quite a serious thing in the sense of the person was technically betrothed, but the actual marriage hadn't taken place. As I understand it, the bride-to-be would go away with all her helpers and she'd make herself ready. That was a time of preparation. And then, at an undisclosed time, I assume, the bridegroom was making the festivities ready as well. He'd come with his best men, so to speak, and he'd come and fetch his bride and take her to the wedding feast and then the marriage would be solemnized and they would continue from there as a married couple. Well, you see, that was the picture they had in their minds. And the Lord was painting this picture that one day he's coming back for his bride. Now there's a few discussions on who the bride of Christ is, but very simply, the bride of Christ is everybody who's a child of the living God. He's coming back for his church. That's what it boils down to. But as I've said, what about everybody else between when it was spoken and the day when he does return in his glory? Does this parable not apply? Well, I think the obvious answer is that it does apply. Because every one of us will be taken away one day in our lifetimes when we come to the end of our walk on this earth, you see. In a sense, a mini-marriage with our heavenly bridegroom. But you see, what's he saying here is that when that event takes place, we need to be ready. It's quite possible to be deceived, to think that we are ready and yet we aren't. All those virgins were waiting for the bridegroom to come. They weren't fooling around saying he's not going to come. They weren't, in a sense, unbelievers. They were waiting. They were expecting the bridegroom to come. But even though some of them were expecting him to come, when he did come, he didn't even know them. I trust that you're beginning to see how important this discussion really is. So my question was, well, what made the difference, you see? And it all boils down, excuse the pun, but it boils down to oil. You see, the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So their lamps had oil. In a way, their torches had a battery. The others didn't have. They didn't have oil in their lamps. That seems rather strange, doesn't it? The whole purpose of a lamp is to light up. And everybody knew that something lights up, but to sustain the light, there has to be oil. There has to be oil. And some didn't bother. If you've got a vessel that has no oil, you can light the wick and it will light up. It will light up for a while. But what will inevitably happen? Because there's no oil, it'll go out. And all we have is a puff of smoke. So what is this oil? How is it significant to us living today? Please understand something. The Bible was written not so that we could have a fond memory, a fond thought, 
a clever idea, a feather in our cap because of our biblical knowledge, a nice thing to think about. No, the Bible was written in a way that you and I, when we approach it, as whenever we approach the Word of God, there needs to be something we can take away and apply to everyday life. Whenever I share the Word of God, my prayer is that whatever I say can be taken home and acted on. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. Now, if you look at the Bible, it doesn't take, if I can call it that, theological rocket science to understand that the oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. You see, the wise had access to the Holy Spirit. Now, in context, the Lord was speaking to people who didn't understand that the Holy Spirit was still to come. They didn't understand that. He said to his disciples, I'm going to have to leave you lot, speaking of his crucifixion. They all said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. We want you around. And it's obvious why they wanted him around. He could feed multitudes out of, so to speak, thin air. Could walk on water if necessary. If you were sick, he could heal you. And even if he really got sick, could raise the dead. He was quite a person to have around. And so when he said, I have to go, they said, no ways, you're not going. We don't want you to go. They couldn't understand it because they didn't want to understand it. But you see, he understood something. And this is the reality. The one limitation Christ had on this earth was the same limitation that you and I have before we are saved. And that is a fact that we are subject to time and space. He could only be at one place at one time. And if he was to bring salvation to humanity, and he could only be in one place at one time, according to the law of nature, under which he was operating, to a certain extent, it was impossible. You see? And so the disciples were quite happy to have him with themselves, but he had a broader vision, obviously, because they weren't the only people on the ship. They weren't the only people around. There are a lot of other people that needed God in their lives. The whole world desperately needed God in their lives. Does still need. We all still need God in our lives. Amen. And that's what he's looking at. So you see, he said, I have to go so that I can send the Comforter. Speaking of the same Holy Spirit. I have to go. Why could the Comforter not come before? Well, he is the Holy Spirit, you see. One thing we have to understand about the Holy Spirit, three things actually. He's a person. He's a personality. It's not an it, not a force, not some weird spiritual thing out there. No, he's a person. He's a person. But he's not subject to time and space because he doesn't have a body. You see, now the Holy Spirit is holy. He cannot be contaminated. The second thing we understand about the Holy Spirit is that holiness. You and I can offend the Holy Spirit to the extent that he doesn't come near us. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible in the course of a service to grieve the Holy Spirit and he backs off because he's the Holy Spirit. That was his problem. That's why he could not come to the earth before the death of Christ. But you see, once Christ died and his blood was shed and touched the earth, the earth became cleansed. And because of that, the Holy Spirit had a legal right to come onto the earth. Amen. And the other thing to understand about the Holy Spirit is that he's powerful. He has the power of God. 
So you see, we might say, well, why doesn't the Holy Spirit sort that thing out? Well, he can't come in there. The blood needs to be there, and that's where our prayer comes in. But let's not digress. The point is he is talking about the Holy Spirit. You see, and that's why I spoke in parables, stories. People remember the story, and when the event took place, they'd be able to put two and two together. In the same way, he expects us to put two and two together right here. What is he saying? Well, you see, this Holy Spirit, this person of the Holy Spirit, is critical to your and my relationship with the living God. If we do not have an understanding and are not filled with the Holy Spirit, we can be aware of God, but we cannot operate with an ongoing relationship experience with Him. It's what I'll call immediacy. God is in heaven. We can know all about God who is in heaven. But that is not going to help us trying to work through our lives here on earth. We need Him here, you see. We need Him here. And that is exactly why He gave us the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to operate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes this relationship with God what I like to call immediate, immediacy. I remember as a little boy at boarding school, got on the train, one of those old puffing bullies. We used to spend four days and three nights on this train going from Zambia, as it was, right down to the Eastern Cape. And by the time we got there, there was no distinguishing us between the soot that the train billowed out and our clothing. But anyway, the point is, we were far from home. Now, my parents loved me. There was no doubt about that. But in a way, I grew up dysfunctionally because although they loved me, what was the problem? They were 2,000 kilometers away. You see? And at the age of nine, or any age, growing up, you need your parents around you. You understand? In the same way, children of God, God is in heaven, Christ is in heaven as well. He comes down to earth every now and then, but when he comes down in his body, as a human, yes, the firstborn of many brethren, he can only be at one place at one time. You see? But the Holy Spirit can be here all the time, and he is here all the time. And you see, as we tap into the Holy Spirit, we can experience God continuously, day to day. Very close relationship with the living God through the Holy Spirit. A lot of people have had experiences with the Lord, Yeshua, presenting himself to them, and that's wonderful. And sometimes perhaps one is tempted to say, oh Lord, won't you come and visit me, sort of thing. Do you know, I realized something that I don't want to pray that prayer. Not that I wouldn't like him to visit me. If he did, physically, I'd be very, very honored. I'd probably have to crawl into the corner. I'd be so amazed, shocked, like the disciples were when he was transfigured. But you see, I realized something. God's made it possible for us to enjoy him just as if he were here every single moment of the day. You see, by exercising our faith and being open to the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit plays a critical role in the Christian's walk. And if a Christian has not availed himself or herself of the Holy Spirit, and please note, it's something we have to decide to do. We have to ask for the Holy Spirit. It's very simple, really. We have to ask. The Father, if we ask, will fill us with the Holy Spirit just like that, whether we feel anything or not. 
He wants us so desperately to have the Holy Spirit because he realizes without the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, your and my Christian walk, can I just say this, is like one of those lamps without any oil. It's like carrying around a lamp, but it hasn't got the ability to light up anything, only for a few seconds. That dry wick will not help us, will not help us live life for God. Can you see? We need the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. Even though we might be righteous with God, we don't have that immediacy. It's possible to carry our Christianity around like a torch without a battery. It looks good, probably 100 kilowatts of power that could light up the world, but if there's no battery, or if it's relying on ESCOM, you're done for. Can you see? Now, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Well, as I've said, He invigorates our relationship with God in many ways. For a start, when you and I read the Bible, if we do not read the Bible with the Holy Spirit, this Bible can do more damage than good. Did you know that? Becomes a dull, dead body of information, moral principles, that if you try and live by them, you'll find it very frustrating because you won't have the power to do it. But the Holy Spirit, you see, who authored this book and created it in such a way that when we open up to him, he can take the very thoughts he planned from time immemorial and give us revelation. The Bible comes alive, is what I'm saying. With the Holy Spirit, the Bible comes alive. Without the Holy Spirit, Bible reading, although any reading of the Bible is advantageous, but it's severely limited. You'll end up with dull, dead theology hitting people over the head with the fact that they need to be born again, or probably not even that. So you see, the Holy Spirit can use this Bible to speak to us. We can hear God's voice through this Bible. I always recommend people, if you want to hear God's voice, learn to hear his voice through the Bible. There are other ways of hearing his voice, to be sure, but at the end of the day, Whatever you hear, it must be verified by the Bible. But you see, not just the dull, dead scriptures, because you'll find a lot of scriptures that are seemingly contradictory, things that don't make sense. Without the Holy Spirit, to the carnal mind, it doesn't make any sense at all. But you see, with the Holy Spirit, understanding comes. Revelation comes. And that's when the Bible becomes so exciting, you don't really want to put it down, because it feeds our soul. The other thing about the Holy Spirit is that when we pray, you see, the Holy Spirit makes us aware of him. And when we pray as the Holy Spirit directs us, that prayer meeting with God becomes an interchange of experience with the living God. We could spend all day on this. You see, the Holy Spirit is indispensable. The Holy Spirit is also indispensable when it comes to overcoming sin in our lives. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Christian, you are done for. You'll end up trying to win victories just in the flesh with your willpower. And it's not enough. It's not enough. Let me tell you, the satanic forces arrayed against us laugh at you and my will. They laugh at it, if that's all we're using. But let me tell you something, they will not laugh at the Holy Spirit. When we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and help us, he gives us victory. He shows us how to fight the fight of faith. He shows us how to do things. 
and he gives us the power to win. Amen. The Holy Spirit is also very important as far as guidance is concerned. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, is able to lead us into all truth and show us things to come. Isn't that an awesome thought? Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't show us whatever's going to happen to puff us up. He tells us what we need to know in advance. I can't tell you how many times when I face situations, I've just spent time with God, and He's told me exactly what's going to happen, and because I knew exactly what was going to happen, guess what? When it happened, I wasn't phased in the least. I was expecting it. And God had given me the right response in the situation. Can you see? Brothers and sisters, this parable is critically important to understand. Don't let it just collect as a dusty thought that, oh, we know that parable. Ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. And let me just tell you, the moment you think of it like that, you and I will always put ourselves in the category of the five wise ones. Am I right? We always say, oh, well, I'm one of the wise ones. You know, I'm ready. I don't know about those other fools. Well, the question is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And you see, something to bear in mind here, that they said to the ones who didn't have, go and buy. Go and buy. The ones that didn't have, they said to them, go and buy. And the point is this, that the Holy Spirit in your and my life is something that you have to pay a price for. We have to pay a price for it, the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you why? Because you see, another word for holy is set apart. Set apart. The moment you and I involve ourselves with the Holy Spirit, we become set apart from the lifestyle of other people. Now let me tell you, you and I want to be friends with everybody. We want everybody to be friends with us. We want to blend in, so to speak. It's our human nature. We are created that way. But let me just say this. The more you and I get involved with the Holy Spirit, the more and more holy you and I will have to become. Separated from. You see? And it's not because we're forsaking other people. That's not the point. We're not forsaking them. We're becoming separated so that we can become empowered, so that we can actually help them. That's the plan, you see. That's the plan. If you're living at the same level as others, you can't really help them. You can't. If you're battling with sickness, you won't be able to help others that are battling as well. We have to overcome, you see, in all these things, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you see, when we are set apart and we start operating differently, we subject ourselves to the world's ridicule. And it takes a bit of sacrifice to say, I'd rather go with God than make everybody happy. The world is a whole lot of catchphrases, you see, they like to throw at us. Are you one of those happy clappers? Do you raise your hands in church? Oh my soul, do you dance in church? Do you speak in tongues? You see, do you cast out demons? Well, can I say yes to all of those? I do. Not scared to say yes. But let me tell you, the fact that you're involved with that sort of stuff, so to speak, doesn't make you very popular with others. You see, if people are riding around with a dull, dead religion, they hate somebody else who shows them up. They can't stand it. They light their wick, a bit of a puff, and out it goes, and along comes blazing glory, full of oil. There's a price to be paid. Brothers and sisters, there's a price to be paid for a relationship with God. 
God is going one way, this world is going in exactly the opposite way. And that opposite way has crept, unfortunately, into the church, those who are called by his name. And that is why, you see, it comes to the place where the door is shut. There's a cut-off point. And the big question is, are you and I ready? How are we going to be ready? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I encourage every one of us, as the Bible says, be continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a once-off thing. It's an ongoing process. And allow the Holy Spirit to raise us up to new levels that our lamps might be burning brightly when He comes. Amen. <music>